Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 614 for the 14th of October, 2018. This week, updates to Adobe's Elements applications, do what we've come to expect from these updates, add powerful new features in the form of guided edits. Those who want to create projects they can share without having to learn more complex applications such as Lightroom or Photoshop should take a look at the new Elements. In short circuits, Facebook went wild this week with persistent hoax messages about accounts being hacked, complete with a warning to share the information with all your friends. Facebook accounts can be cloned, of course, and there's no way to keep that from happening, but there is a lot you can do to make your account a lot less attractive to crooks. Google will be shutting down its ill-conceived Google Plus service over the next 10 months after admitting a data breach the company had hidden for more than half a year. In spare parts, only on the website, if you purchased audio equalization software that I recommended in September, I'll explain why I now consider it unacceptable and how you can get a refund. Phishing emails continue to be a serious problem for organizations. Now there are companies that will send fake phishing campaigns to employees so they can learn how to identify these messages. Fans of Doctor Who are being tricked into signing up for what looks like a free service, but with an annual cost of nearly $1,100. And some details on how you can watch during the next two weeks when NASA TV offers video from a couple of spacewalks outside the International Space Station. Adobe's Elements applications, Photoshop and Premiere, have always been targeted at those who want to improve their photos and videos, but at a lower cost than the pro versions and without the need to master the more complex applications. The 2019 version of the applications bring even more power. Each new version brings performance improvements, but the keys this year include automatic creation of collages and other improvements that depend on Adobe's Sensei, the artificial intelligence technology. And there are more guided edits that walk users through some of the more complex functions. In fact, there are now 53 guided edits across the two main applications. Photoshop Elements and Premiere Elements are available separately or as a bundle. Individually or combined, users receive the organizer application that's used to import photos and videos, organize files, manage catalogs and removable drives, specify folders that should be watched for new images, select images for use with one of six photo merge functions, recognize people's faces, and a lot more. It's easy to just open either of the main applications and ignore the organizer, but you'll get a lot more out of the applications if you make the organizer your friend. So let's take a look at Photoshop Elements. Photo collages have been popular with users, and Adobe has redesigned them in the 2019 edition of Photoshop Elements. The goal is to make it possible to create the initial collage with just a few clicks, and then apply templates that are designed to work well with Instagram and other social media. 
Users can also further personalize collages with frames or by changing the background. Four of the new features in Photoshop Elements are illustrated with guided edits. Memes are popular on Facebook and other social media, and a guided edit shows users the process of adding text, applying filters, and using other effects that make the meme memorable. Another shows users how to fill text with images with a different photo in each letter if desired. Or if you want to add a decorative border to a photo and include text, you'll find a guided edit for that. By the way, this is a great feature to use when creating titles for sections of photo books. The fourth of the new guided edits shows how to brush on one of several effects that can make part of an image appear to be drawn in pencil or printed on old paper. There's also an antique photo look you can brush on. So I got out some photos to see what I could do. I took a photo from the Kenny Road Market. That's a place with just about any kind of beer you might ever want, snacks and trucks to rent if you want a truck with your beer. The photo's a bit crooked and needs to be cropped to eliminate some ceiling lights and the coolers that are on the left-hand side of the image. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website to see these pictures, by the way. It was a raw image, so I knew that I'd have good control over highlights and shadows. Opening a raw file in Photoshop Elements is similar to opening a raw file in Photoshop CC in that it triggers a version of Adobe Camera Raw. The primary difference is that the version of Adobe Camera Raw in Photoshop Elements lacks some of the features that are found in the full version of Adobe Camera Raw. Even so, it covers the basic modifications that most people will need without all the complexity of the full Adobe Camera Raw. Once you've made the necessary changes in Camera Raw, then you'll open the photo in Photoshop Elements. But I really wanted to take a look at the Meme Maker. That seemed like kind of a cool option. To illustrate Meme Maker's guided edit, I used a photo of my wife and younger daughter at the Columbus Metropolitan Library's main building. The process starts with the full image and a default background. As we've seen with other guided edits in earlier versions of the program, the step-by-step -step instructions are right there on the screen over on the right-hand edge. I added some text at the top and bottom of the frame, selected a different background, and then cropped the image. Then I added an effect that creates a motion blur. At this point, the user could export the image for use with social media or continue editing by clicking the Expert tab. The Expert tab provides access to layers and masks that Photoshop Elements applied automatically. Each of the layers is named, and a thumbnail illustrates what's on the layer. While this isn't Photoshop CC, users can make a lot of impressive changes as they gain experience with that Expert mode. Maybe you're wondering what's new in Premiere Elements. We'll take a full look at Premiere Elements in a later program, but Today, let me just say that Adobe has reworked the quick edit mode for videos with the goal of simplifying the interface. A new Smart Trim option uses artificial intelligence to automatically select what it considers to be the best parts of the video and then work the user through the process of trimming the excess. There's a simplified timeline that makes the process of combining title sequences, video clips, still photos, and music easier. Two new guided edits were added this year to Premiere Elements. One makes what's called a glass pane effect, makes the video appear to be behind a pane of glass. The other creates dramatic scene transitions by automatically analyzing each scene's dark and light areas.
we'll take a closer look at Premiere Elements, as I said, in a future program. But for Photoshop Elements, bottom line is five cats, an increasingly powerful photo manipulator is going to please users. Keeping in mind that Elements applications are designed for non-professionals, I'm once again surprised by the functions that Adobe has exposed to those who don't have the time or the inclination to master applications like Lightroom or Photoshop CC. The ability to move from basic photo edits to guided edits for complex tasks and eventually to the fully manual expert mode make it possible for users to develop new skills over time. You'll find additional details on the Adobe website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, no, you still have not been hacked. Any message that includes these words is probably meaningless and might be a scam. These are the words. Please forward this to all your contacts. Well, instead of just blindly following those instructions, it'd be better to do a little research first. One of the more recent examples I've seen of this kind of nonsense has been circulating in Facebook. The message says almost every account is being cloned. That is demonstrably false. It is a problem, but it's not every account, or even almost every account. To make it worse, people are forwarding the message with claims that they have been hacked. They haven't. Their accounts are safe, but they have been, perhaps, cloned. Anyone can create a Facebook account using any name. After all, there is more than one Bill Blinn in the world, I'm sure. So there could be multiple accounts with my name. One of those accounts might be a clone. To find out if your account has been cloned, just search for your own name on Facebook. If you find other accounts with your name, look for any that happen to use your profile picture or your account banner. Such an account is clearly a fake, and you should report it. I described how to do that in August. You'll find a link to that program on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. You might also want to examine the other accounts with your name, but any account that's not using your images is probably legitimate. So maybe you're wondering, how does Facebook tell the difference between Joe Smith and the hundreds or thousands of other people with that exact same name? Well, that's easy. Each user has a unique ID or an index number. Your email address and password link to that ID. The display name, Joe Smith in this case, is just that, the name that Facebook displays for your posts. If you'd like to find out what your Facebook ID is, go to your account page, right-click the profile picture, select Copy Link Address from the context menu, and then paste the address into any document that can display text. The account ID is the number at the end of the string following the term Refer Profile ID. You'll see an example of that with my Facebook ID on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Automatically forwarding these warning messages is unwise. In the first few years of this century, I received forwards from a friend in Arizona. It's the worst virus ever! 
most of the messages said. The worst virus ever. It will destroy your computer. Microsoft has announced it, or AOL has announced it. But when I pointed out that those messages were fakes and forwarding them exacerbated the problem, his usual response was, but what if it's real? So each time I repeated the obvious problems with the messages. Microsoft doesn't announce viruses. Neither does AOL. The threats described in the warning are not technically possible. There is no reference to a viable, believable source, and so on. Eventually, after a couple of years, he realized that the messages he had been forwarding were, at best, misinformed and possibly malevolent, so he stopped forwarding them. When it comes to Facebook account cloning, the problem is real, but the warnings are sadly misinformed. We'll take a look at what you can do about the problem next. After all my bluster in the previous section, maybe you're wondering if Facebook account cloning can be prevented. Well, in a word, no. But you can make it more difficult. Before going there, think for a moment about why somebody would want to clone your account. The most common reason is to use the cloned account to convince people who are already your Facebook friends to accept a new friend request from the fake account. But then what? If Joe's account has been cloned, and Mary accepts a friend request from the fake Joe, the fake account can post information on Mary's timeline. Those posts could be phony political messages, advertisements for scams that plan to steal money or credentials, or social engineering schemes that intend to collect enough information to steal a person's identity. So understanding that the risk cannot be eliminated Understand that you can mitigate the risk by tightening your account's privacy settings to hide information from strangers. Start by going to the account page and clicking the Friends menu. You can follow along with this process with some images that you'll find on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week. So when you're on the Friends page, locate the pencil icon and click it, then select Edit Privacy. The first decision is who can see your friends list. The safest selection is only me. And that is the best choice unless there's some really good reason why others should be able to see your friends' names. Offhand, I can't think of one. Then locate the question mark icon on the account's main page. Click it and select Privacy Settings. On the Privacy tab, choose the option to review a few important privacy settings. This will open a page with several sections. The first section determines the default settings for your posts. Two primary options are Friends and Public. The Public setting provides a larger potential audience for your posts, and it's what most businesses will want. Limiting visibility to Friends by default is safer. Individual posts can be set public or private, but be aware that the setting is sticky. And what I mean by that is, if your default setting is private and you change the visibility for one post to public, all subsequent posts will be public until you change the setting again. That's probably not a good idea, but it's Facebook. The next section is your profile, and it determines who can see information from your profile. 
You can control settings individually for your phone number, email address, birthday, and hometown. Next, you might want to return to the main account page, choose Photos, and then Albums. Each album has a privacy setting. Although you cannot limit the visibility of your profile picture or your account banner, it is wise to limit access to other images. So there are a couple of takeaways that I consider important here. First, nothing on the Internet is perfectly secure. Nothing. That could be expanded just a bit to nothing is perfectly secure. Crooks can break into stores, steal cars, rob banks. Nothing is really secure. The Internet makes things a lot easier and less personal because crooks can steal your money or your identity without ever meeting you. All we can do is make it harder for thieves to victimize us. And second, it is pointless to forward a message to everyone you know. In most cases, these hysterical alerts have been written by someone who doesn't understand the situation. When you receive one of these messages, stop and think. Check online resources such as Hoax Slayer or Snopes. I've got links to those on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And other good resources include the Malwarebytes blog, Ars Technica's security blog, ThreatPost, Krebs on Security, Dark Reading, and Tech Republic's security blog. I have links to all of those on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Until you're certain, don't panic. And even if you are sure, don't panic. Panic can make a serious situation even worse. In other words, maybe we should all try to act somewhat like physicians and first do no harm. Well, we can wave a fond farewell to Google+. It's dead because of a security breach that affected only a few people, about half a million. Now, by current standards, that's small. But Google decided to shut down its Facebook wannabe. It was never really a contender, and the security breach appears to be what convinced Google to kill the project. But the breach was discovered in March it had been present since 2015. It exposed usernames, email addresses, sex, and age. Not really critical information, but a breach is a breach. Google says it has no way to identify which users were affected, and it believes no data was actually stolen. Wait a minute. If they don't know which accounts were affected, how can they know if anything was stolen or not? And even worse... This is October. The breach was discovered in March. By my calendar, that is seven months. Why the silence? Well, it wasn't accidental. The Wall Street Journal reviewed an internal memo from Google's legal and policy staff to senior executives. The memo warned that disclosure would generate immediate regulatory interest and would probably expose Google to comparisons with Facebook's leak of user information to Cambridge Analytica. In other words, it was all about public relations. Rules do vary from one country to another, but nearly every national government agency specifies that a breach must be reported within hours, or at most, a few weeks of being discovered. Google intentionally failed to report the breach, and it seems like it should suffer some consequences. 
Speaking of consequences, you will suffer no consequences if you visit Spare Parts. It's only on the website. This week, if you purchased audio equalization software I recommended back in September, I'll explain why I now consider it unacceptable and how you can get a refund. Phishing emails continue to be a serious problem for organizations. Now there are companies that will send fake phishing campaigns to employees so that they can learn how to identify the messages. Fans of Doctor Who are being tricked into signing up for what looks like a free service, but with an annual cost of nearly $1,100. And some information about how you can watch during the next couple of weeks as NASA TV offers videos from a couple of spacewalks outside the International Space Station. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com and if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.